series. So we're into a series, TGIF, Recovering the Scandal of the Cross. Of course, Jesus died on Good Friday 2,000 years ago. Today, we're jumping into part two, you'll see on the next slide, talking about Christus Victor. Again, Latin terminology where Christ is the victor, Christ is the conqueror. I know in a lot of artwork, you don't necessarily see Jesus as being a conqueror. He looks, you know, peaceful, kind of passive, maybe kind of boring, maybe kind of wishy-washy. This misses one of the major theories of why Jesus died, that he died to be victorious. Why did he die? Couldn't he just wave a magic wand because he's God and say, your sins are all looked after? He died to atone. That's the word that Pastor Matt introduced to us last week. He died to atone, to make us at one with God. He's a lot stronger than I think we've given him credit for. The Apostle Paul said these words. He said, even while we were living as enemies of the cross, Christ died for us. You see, there's this age-old sin question. I'm sorry to bring up a, a theology term or a religious term, but it's a Bible term, this term sin. It literally means, because 2,000 years ago they didn't have the English language, they, most of the ancient manuscripts we have of the scripture, New Testament is written in Greek, Old Testament's written in Hebrew. So some of the Greek terminology to talk about sin uses the language of archery, missing the mark, making a mistake, slipping up. And the end result or the natural consequence of, of going against God's plan is not positive. See, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I've used this illustration here before. If you go scuba diving, if you're 50, 60, 80, 100 feet under the water, and you just decide, you know, I'm not going to wear these oxygen tanks anymore. They're really cramping my style. They're kind of heavy. They're kind of bulky. Pfft, I'm so much bigger than this. You can lay aside your oxygen, oxygen tanks and say, I'm good. And you can walk away or swim away from the life source. We have a word for people that do that. Stupid. <laughs> yeah, it, just, it doesn't make sense to walk away from the life source. God is life. To know him is life forever. So to walk away from the source of life forever is to choose death. So here we are. I don't know a person in the room. I don't know a person on the planet who has ever lived a perfect life. The scripture actually says that. There's no one who hasn't missed the mark. Every one of us has made a mistake. So we're all ultimately going to experience the end result, the byproduct of those mistakes. And as we pull away from the life of God, we're choosing death. So there's this huge 
separation between God and his perfection and us pulling away from his life. There's this huge chasm, if you will, spiritually, but ultimately one day that'll be physical, the difference. And again, God had plans for us, as Pastor Matt was talking about last week in Genesis chapter 1. He created us to be filled with life and joy and all kinds of wonderful things and atonement. There's that theology word again. To make us at one. To atone for our sin. Hmm. This is where Jesus comes on the scene. To fix this age-old problem. And again, as you saw on the slide there, he's not some victim. He's not just some object of God's wrath. But here's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at Christ as victor. And as Colton is sharing these stories this morning of healing, Jesus isn't just the one who's victorious over sin when he died on the cross 2,000 years ago. He's victorious over sickness, disease, any of those byproducts that are tied into our world, having fallen away from God, having gone a different direction. When Jesus brings correction to that, he's not just a little bit victorious, he is entirely or total victor. This is good news. I mean, this is really good news. I don't know about you, but sin depresses the snot out of me. Like literally this week, I'm suffering with a cold. So literally the nasal thing going on, it's not pretty. That is, again, a byproduct of fallen humanity. But Christ comes on the scene as the victor. Wow. The... Uh, the, the word atonement, again, the old thinking on that word is that it's about bringing reparation. We were apart, but we are, our sins are atoned for. But not just that there's reparation, but there's unity now between God and man because of what Jesus did. On the next slide, I just want to share these uh, words of an old hymn. I, I misunderstood it to mean up from the gravy arose when I was a little boy. I thought, why are we singing about gravy and roses? That makes no sense to me. Because when I was three, you know, I'd hear the words, but I couldn't yet read. But again, this is a, a hymn that we used to sing in church. Low in the grave he lay, Jesus my Savior, waiting the coming day, Jesus my Lord. The second and third stanza are there as well. And then the refrain, up from the grave he arose. With a mighty triumph o'er his foes, he arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to, to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah. Christ arose. And at many of, uh, many of the old school churches, come Easter Sunday, they'll be singing this, this beautiful old hymn that speaks of Christ uh, 
as victor. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you, I think we've lost a lot of this in Western society and in the Western church. So the victorious Christ, Christ as the conqueror, Christ who came as the victor, also came as ransom. You'll see this here on the next slide. Uh, almost 1,800 years ago, almost 1,900 years ago, one of the church fathers, Irenaeus, you'll see his picture there on the screen, he is one who really majored in on this theory of Christ as conqueror and as our ransom. Gregory of uh, Nyssa, a couple hundred years later, also supported this theory. It's a huge part of Eastern Orthodoxy. And I remember when we planted a church in Slovakia uh, about 10 years ago. It's a different feel when you celebrate Easter in those former Eastern Bloc countries where Eastern Orthodoxy was uh, the prevailing expression of Catholicism. In Slovakia, I don't know if you've ever seen videos of this, it's, it's worth YouTubing. Uh, to see the tradition, what they do in Slovakia is they, they throw water all over the young, innocent girls, um, and they'll also whip them with pussy willow branches. These are wonderful traditions <laughs> that they have in Slovakia. And it's interesting, both in Slovakia and uh, Poland, as they celebrate this, this, they do this on Easter Saturday, also called Holy Saturday, between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Uh, you see it listed there on the screen. The, I'll probably brutalize this as I pronounce it, but Oblivatska is that ceremony of just throwing water on the young maidens and then slapping them around with these pussy willow sticks. In Poland and other countries, they call it Dingus Day, which literally means the day of ransom. The water, again, symbolic of, of washing and purity. Uh, the pussy willow thing is more so just beating the sin out of people. That's, that's not one of the prettier uh, metaphors. But... It's ingrained in the culture. It's more of, more of a celebration, more focus on the ransom uh, that Jesus did. And uh, again, let me just share these scriptures with you. Christ, the heroic conqueror. Interesting word in the New Testament. It's nikeo is the word for conqueror. The word we get Nike, uh, the shoes from. True story comes from the Greek. Uh, but look at this scripture found in Ephesians 4. He ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? This is after his death. He who descended is he who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fit all things. And again... In Revelation, I'm the living one, I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and hell. Many artists have tried to capture this moment of brilliant theology here in what they call the harrowing of hell. 
where Jesus went down into what in the Old Testament is called Abraham's bosom. When, when people would die, they'd be gathered into the heart, into the chest of their father Abraham in, in, in a kind of a, a waiting room. They hadn't yet been judged for heaven or hell, but Jesus ascended into those lower earthly regions, the scripture tells us, where he led the captives out of captivity. I love this picture of Jesus, that he came as the conqueror. And then at the end of time, in the book of Revelation, he says, I have the keys of death and hell. And he shows himself beautifully here in scripture as the conqueror. And again, you imagine these ancient kings and leaders and biblical characters. And, and again, you see even, even there in the artwork, you, you see King David and King Solomon, all these great leaders and uh, Bible heroes, Elijah and Elisha. In that particular photo, you see uh, Adam and Eve there uh, kind of in the background and Jesus is rescuing these great characters out of a place of uncertain future and their chains are broken. It's, it's just a beautiful image of Jesus as the conquering hero. It's a, it's a brilliant metaphor. On the next slide, um, one more scripture, Mark chapter 10 says, the son of man came to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, Dictionary.com offers us these three definitions. The redemption of a prisoner, slave, or captured goods for a price, or the sum or price paid or demanded. Or thirdly, uh, ransom is defined as a means of rescue from punishment for sin, especially the payment of a redemptive fine. Ransom. Jesus came. You've seen this in movies. You've seen it on TV shows. The bad guy has captured somebody against their will, is holding them as captive and says, if you want this person back, there's a price to pay. And again, in our situation, we'd made a mistake, a mistake that we could never correct because everyone has Made mistake, and, and in steps the hero, Jesus. And when we were powerless to do anything to fix the separation between us and God, Jesus says, I'll pay the penalty for your mistakes. And Jesus, even though he had never sinned, the only human being, because he was also not just fully human, fully God, he stepped in and in our place, the sinless or the faultless one, accused of crimes he never committed, paid the price for our sin and became, are you ready for this? Our ransom. The price is now paid and we can go free. This powerful imagery of ransom. Secondly, not only is there ransom, but there's relatability. You'll see this here on the next slide. This first century metaphor was very relatable to people. They understood when these words were written exactly what was being talked about because slavery was still a very real situation and people could be redeemed or ransomed for slavery, especially if they were slaves because they were in debt and 
they would have to work for three years or five years or whatever to pay back. They could be ransomed. Somebody could pay the price and they could get out of slavery. Also on the Roman roads in the first and second century, there would be bands of marauders who would take hostages and say, we'll release them when you pay us a price. Bishop Ambrose in the fourth century uh, to get captives out of the Adrianople conflict. He had to ransom them. So what he did is he melted down artifacts, gold and silver artifacts from the church to ransom those prisoners of war. It's a powerfully relatable concept. We don't have a lot of ransom situations today, but historically, maybe you remember the Emancipation Proclamation that Abraham Lincoln made, that Americans would no longer be judged by color and they would be set free from slavery, recognizing that slaves had been captured from Africa, brought over to America. For what? They hadn't done anything wrong, but they were being held as hostages until they were proclaimed free by Abraham Lincoln. Thirdly, we're almost done here. I want to talk about some restrictions on this ransom metaphor. No metaphor is ever complete. My dad and all Griffin men have big noses. So if we call God our father in my thinking, does that mean God has a big nose? Of course not. That's, that's taking the metaphor of father through my personal filter, taking it too far. In the first century, uh, all men, pretty much all men, it wasn't a, a common thing for men to be clean shaven. So all men had beards. And again, we usually think of God when we picture him, even though God is spirit, we think of God as having a beard, but it doesn't necessarily mean God has a beard. It's hard for a spirit to have a beard. So in the ransom theory, this question was asked, to whom was the ransom paid? And I'll be honest with you, that, that kind of got uh, the first century and fourth century theologians on a bit of a rabbit trail. They're focusing on, well, obviously the ransom was paid to Satan, but then God tricked him into taking the ransom, and then Jesus rose from the dead and freaked him right out. It just, it's, I'll be honest with you, it's just really bizarre uh, theology. Um, the metaphor of ransom is kind of missing the point if you're trying to figure out who the ransom is paid to. It's more so the fact that our sin issue, we're hostages of our own wrongdoing, our own mistake, our own selfish thinking. But Jesus died, so he's paid the price for our mistake. It doesn't matter who it's paid to. I think that's just pushing the metaphor too far. And you could easily get off track theologically. Totally missing the point. Uh, fourthly, I just want to talk about the relevance of this metaphor to today. Because Christ has paid for our sin, because he's been a ransom for many, I want you to see these scriptures from Romans chapter 8. Maybe these words are familiar to you. 
on the next slide. Romans 8.31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding or praying for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God, love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, none of these things are going to separate us from God. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, present or future or any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. It's like sin had this stranglehold that Paul is talking about in verse 36, as it is written, like death, like we're suffering. But is that going to separate us from God? No. Nothing. When Christ conquered sin on the cross 2,000 years ago, it's a done deal. Sin, Satan, even the power of our own selfish motivation is totally defeated and broken. All we need to do is accept that, to actualize the price that was paid. Again, you can have all the money in the world sitting in a bank account, but if you don't actually get some out to use it, it's just, it's there sitting, waiting to appropriate those funds, to utilize those funds, to, to pay off our own debts, to pay our bills, to buy groceries, to buy the things that we need. All we need to do is accept what's there and use it. Christ is victorious. All we need to do is appropriate his victory to our lives by, by inviting him into our life to lead our lives, to be our Lord. We fully appropriate, we fully actualize, we activate his lordship in our circles, in our day-to-day -day lives. That is an incredible thing. What Colton was talking about from a week ago Thursday night, a bunch of students gathering and praying for each other, some leaders sharing their stories and encouraging the students with that. That's an incredible application of the victorious life of Jesus Christ being applied to our situation today. But maybe you're like me. 
Maybe you have situations in your life. Maybe you have chronic pain. Maybe there's something you've been praying for for decades that hasn't changed, hasn't gotten any better. Here's my question for you. Does that make Christ any less victorious? Does that mean he loves me any less because I'm not healed or my wife's not healed? Does that mean the price Jesus paid, his ransom, his victorious ransom from 2,000 years ago, I guess sucks to be me. It works for other people, just not for me. Here's the deal. His victory is sure. Whether that comes today, this week, this month, this year, or even in my lifetime is up to him. Nothing in all creation will separate me from his love. I choose not to let circumstance dictate how I see the fact of his sacrifice 2,000 years ago, meeting every need and every situation in my life. He's still victorious. Even if I still carry the sickness. Remember the confession in the Old Testament? You had these brothers, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And King Nebuchadnezzar said, bow down and worship me, or I'll throw you into this fiery furnace. And they weren't going to worship the king. Maybe you've heard this story before. So sure enough, they come and find these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're about to throw them into the furnace. And I love their response. They say, our God will rescue us. And even if he doesn't, we're still not going to worship you. That, my friends, is an even more powerful story than if God had stepped in and rescued them in advance and killed all the soldiers and all the bad guys. What a powerful confession. He's going to rescue us, but even if he doesn't, he's still God. We cannot make our desires and wishes something that dictates the truth of his assured victory. I remember journeying with Sue, my friend, this past fall. She came to our summer series Bible study and shortly after found out she had cancer, stage four. They said it was terminal. I remember sitting with Sue here at Rocky View. I remember her saying, Early in the process, I, I believe God can heal me. And I was right with her. I believe that God can heal you. And we prayed together and we believed that God would do great things. And then a few weeks later, I, I buried Sue and shared some thoughts at her funeral. But here's the thing. Sue Backhouse right now wins. 
She didn't get her miracle here on earth, but she spends eternity with God. It's a win-win situation. I had a friend who is, he's a powerful evangelist. I've shared stories of his life before. His name's Johnny. And Johnny used to always say, we need to be reckless in our faith because it's the good news. We have to share it. And if, uh, if they beat us up, God will heal us. If they kill us, we'll be with God. I found it kind of amusing. I guess you don't. <laughs> Christ is victorious. In just a moment, we're going to close in prayer. Pastor Matt, who shared to open the series last week, isn't here today. He is laid to rest in the last couple days. His grandfather, Matt, was part of the uh, ceremonies and things involved with the family grieving process. So Pastor Matt is with family in Manitoba this weekend. But there's such assurance, even as that family lays there, Matt's grandfather, to rest, that he is spending eternity with God. And I want every person in this room today to know, whether you're a regular part of SunWest or if you're just visiting with us today, no matter where you are on the faith spectrum with religious background, I want you to know today that you can have assurance of spending eternity with God by putting your faith in Jesus, by making him the Lord of your life. I'm not saying you have to join a church. I'm not saying you have to sign up some membership somewhere. All I'm saying is, if you put your faith in Jesus to be your Lord, his victory is yours. Some of it now, and some of it will come in its fullness in eternity. <clears throat> but you can have full assurance that Jesus is victorious. That's why he died. Not so that we could be losers, not that we could be just frustrated all the time, but we have this assurance of life now and forever when we put our faith in Christ. Can we just pray together as we close today? Father, I thank you for these folks here today. And just a chance to hear some simple thoughts about Christ as victor. We pray for Pastor Matt and Lisa and the boys today as they're away, commemorating a life that was well lived, <clears throat> of a man, a godly man, who knew the victory of Jesus Christ in his own life. Lord, please be very near to the family because even though there's the promise of victory, there's still the pain and the heartbreak of grieving. And we ask that you be very close to the entire family today. Father, there's this beautiful balance. Even though life is oftentimes filled with difficulty and pain and problems and sickness, the powerful truth of what we've heard today is that Jesus came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many.
Lord, we choose today to receive the price that he paid. That's a price we should have paid. We, we should have died because we made mistakes. And yet Christ paid that price. Christ who knew no sin, who never made a mistake, he died in my place. He died in place of anyone who comes to him to receive him. And to as many as received him, to us he's given the privilege to be called God's children. So Father, we respond to you today. We commit our lives freshly to you. We're thankful, Lord Jesus, that you are both a ransom and the one who is victorious over sin. I pray for those today that are struggling with different kinds of physical issues, health problems, emotional problems, relational problems, family problems. Lord, whatever the situation, I pray that Christ in us, the hope of glory, would show himself as one who is strong, one who is capable, one who is a rescuer, one who is mighty to save. And even if the circumstances do not change, we still recognize that Jesus is Lord. With this resolute steadfastness in our hearts, we say, God, you reign. You are the victorious one. And we accept in our hearts today the victory of Jesus Christ, victory over sin, victory over sickness and disease. Whether we are healed now or whether we're healed in eternity, we still choose to give you thanks and to honor you as the victorious one. Father, I pray particularly for those that are struggling with discouragement, with ongoing problems, with chronic issues, chronic pain. I pray that you would show yourself as the one who brings victory, first of all, within our hearts. And Lord, whether or not we see the physical manifestation of divine alignment in outward circumstances, we still choose to receive a divinely aligned heart that will not curse you. As Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. God, we choose to put our hope in you today. We choose to put our trust in you today, knowing that our hope is in you. We receive your strength in life. And I declare unto every person here today, the promise, the assurance of the victory of God. Lord, may we see it in our homes, in our workplaces, in financial difficulties, in physical problems, in health issues. May we see your overcoming spirit manifest in our hearts and in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that we can put our hope in you and we receive your strength today. Praying in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're victorious. Eat chili in Jesus' name. And have a great week. If you can stay for chili...